1: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the TransAlta Corporation third quarter 2020 results conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during this session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Kiera Valentini, Managing Director, Investor Relations. Thank you, please go ahead.
0: Thank you, Mariama, and good morning everyone, and welcome to TransAlta's third quarter 2020 conference call. With me today are Don Farrell, President and Chief Executive Officer, Todd Stack, Chief Financial Officer, John Cusignoros, Chief Operating Officer, Brett Gellner, Chief Development Officer, and Carrie O'Reilly-Welks, Chief Legal, Regulatory and External Affairs Officer. Today's call is webcast and I invite those listening on the phones to view the supporting slides that are posted on our website. A replay of the call will be available later today and the transcript will be posted to our website shortly thereafter. All the information provided during this conference call is subject to the forward looking statement qualifications set out here on slide 2 further detailed in our MDNA and incorporated in full for the purposes of today's call. All amounts referenced during the call are in Canadian currency, unless otherwise stated. The non-IFRS terminology used, including comparable EBITDA, funds from operations and free cash flow, are also reconciled in the MDNA for your reference. On today's call, Dawn and Todd will provide an overview of the course results along with expectations for balance of the year. And after these prepared remarks, we will open the call for questions. With that, let me turn the call over to Dawn.
2: Good morning, everyone, and thanks for joining us on our third quarter call here in 2020. We have some great third quarter and year-to-date results to report, and as well, we have a number of very key and important updates and accomplishments on our strategy of becoming Canada's leading clean electricity provider. I'm going to start with our strategic updates, and then I'm going to turn it over to Todd for the numbers. During the quarter, the board and management of TransAlta made several key decisions that we announced this morning. They've included uh, that we've determined we can now close the Alberta high-vale mine effective December 31st, 2021. This decision advances our goal of being off thermal coal in Canada by four years, originally 2025, but now by the end of 2021. All Alberta power plants Uh, will now run only on natural gas starting January 1, 2022. Our only coal plant after the end of next year will be Centralia, which has a long-term contract supporting its cash flows, and we have a transition agreement on greenhouse gases in Washington State until the end of its life in 2025. In Q3, we also made the final investment decision on Sundance Unit 5 Repowering. This 730 megawatt project is estimated to cost between 800 and 825 million, and will come online in Alberta in the fourth quarter of 2023. The team has advanced the project substantially throughout the year, and we've received board approval to to build the project, and I'm pleased to tell you today that we're on track. Our gas conversions are also on track, with SUN6 in its final stages of testing. Everything is proceeding extremely well. We'll, be completely, uh, we'll complete the full commissioning by mid-November uh, uh, in just a couple of weeks. The, Q2, the K2 and K3 conversions are on deck to be completed next year. On our ESG front, our greenhouse gas emissions will be under 11.5 million tons by the end of 2022, down almost 70% from 2005. I want to be very clear. TransAlta has more than met its fair share of the Paris Agreement. To date, we alone have delivered 10% of Canada's goal of a 220 million ton reduction for Canadians by 2030. We'll begin the conversation today about our plans for additional reductions as we work with customers to help them achieve their ambitions to reduce their own greenhouse gases. And and due to the outstanding work by our finance team to raise project debt at South Hadland, we have created even more strength in our liquidity which has never been stronger all this at a time when there's great uncertainty due to covid this sets us apart as a company in which to invest we are positioned with the cash we need to continue to grow r and and to fund our growth at transalta we have positioned several assets as potential drop downs to r&w and hope to make an announcement in the coming months we also uh, we'll, we'll also provide further updates to you on our project pipeline and what's next on the growth side. On gas supply, two important milestones were met. We and Tidewater entered into agreement with ACO to sell the Pioneer Pipeline for $255 million. The transaction is expected to close in the second quarter of 2021. The TC team also received re- regulatory approval for the NGTL 2021 expansion project which expands our supply options and helps us manage future pricing volatility. Transalta Corporation has been a leader in the deployment of innovative ret- renewable technologies for decades. We were a pioneer in Canada in the deployment of wind power generation, and we're now growing our renewable fleet with, commercial, with an, a new addition of a commercial operation of our wind charger battery storage system. This is Alberta's first utility-scale battery storage project and it's a truly renewable system as it's powered by the Sum- Summerview wind farm. The board also approved a diversity and inclusion pledge, which, has develop- which was developed by our frontline diversity and inclusion council. Great work by that team to get us point- clearly pointed at the future and set the foundation for our goal to have 40% of our workforce female by 2030. Finally, but just as importantly, we delivered excellent financial results that demonstrate our continued drive to generate free cash flow for our investors. Uh, I think this is the third quarter in a row, which we've uh, been over $100 million of free cash flow, so congratulations to the hardworking TransAlta team that made that so. By the end of the call, it will be very clear TransAlta is a leader in clean electricity and should be a thought-after investment by those who are interested in companies that deliver on economics. And ESG, we call it E-ESG or E-squared SG, and we're very proud of the work we've all done to get us here today. Our work to convert our Alberta fleet to gas, our ownership in hydro, our ownership in r and our innovative work with customers, and the clear advantages we have with our marketing and trading team have created a strong and diversified portfolio of investments that have held up through a pretty interesting 2020. Frankly, the team at TransAlta hasn't missed a beat. Now, I know the investment community is familiar with most of the projects that uh, we're investing in, so I won't go through them line by line, but I want to provide you with a couple of updates. Our Skukumchuk wind project is close to completion, and we expect commercial operation to be imminent. Our 49% ownership option will be executed shortly thereafter. Construction on Windrise, our contracted wind facility here in Alberta, is 45% complete, and we began receiving wind turbine generators on-site in mid-October. We're advanced on the uh, KBOB-COGEN project, and as I said earlier, for SUN-5, we've received approval to proceed and are targeting commercial operation by fourth quarter of 2023. Now we're we're typically pretty conservative uh, in terms of what we tell you about what's in the development pipeline. And we often only tell you about projects once they're signed, sealed, and delivered. Uh, but we thought today that, we, that because we have a lot of development potential at TransAlta behind the scenes, that we'd highlight some of that. We have over 2,500 megawatts of growth projects that are in various stages of development. This is a great amount of growth potential, and our business development efforts set us up well to generate growing returns for the considerable future. This is the first time we've provided details on many of these projects. We have a dedicated development staff that continues to advance all of our prospects, from PPAs, wind studies, permitting to transmission access, and our goal continues to be to target two to four hundred megawatts of development projects per year. And we have the cash and the financial capability to achieve this goal. Now, as I summarized earlier today, we announced that we will be entirely running on natural gas in Canada. By the end of 2021. This is a tremendous milestone for us and a major step forward in delivering on our Clean Energy Investment Plan. This decision is the concluding chapter of our thermal coal legacy here in Alberta and further demonstrates our commitment to our Alberta customers that their electricity is moving towards carbon neutral. Recent and upcoming milestones on this journey include retiring Sundance Unit 3 on July 31, 2020, completing the boiling conversion of sun six uh, with full uh, gas firing and which is currently in testing and commissioning mode uh, boiler conversions next year for keep hills units two and three gas firing sundance unit four and keep hills unit one in 2022 although these units will be due rate to full to run fully on gas we have sufficient ability uh, in our portfolio to flex all of our capacity to ensure that we can fully optimize the fleet and, and serve the market here in Alberta. And finally, of course, the repairing of Sundance Unit 5. Now, as you can see from this slide, TransAlta has made tremendous progress as an organization in reducing our greenhouse gas emissions, especially in comparison to international agreements, compared to our peers here in Canada, and to the rest of Canada. Uh, I'm sorry, to our peers here in Alberta and to the uh, peers in the rest of Canada. By the end of 2022, we'll have achieved a 32 million ton reduction in greenhouse gas emissions from the 2005 levels across our worldwide fleet. Of that, 21 million tons have been reduced in our Canadian operations. As I said earlier, overall, we've contributed 10% to the Paris target set by the Canadian government. We are among a very few companies in Canada to achieve such significant reductions, and in doing so, we are a clear leader in supporting Canada's commitment to the Paris Agreement. We are outpacing the rest of the province and the country by significant margins. And we're not done yet. The pace of change in renewable energy technology is accelerating at an unprecedented level. We know that we can be long-term partners with our customers to provide green electricity and help integrate these new and leading technologies into their power supply. This roadmap describes how we're conceptualizing the delivery of these technologies and implementing them with our customers. We are working with customers like BHP in Western Australia, where a recent contract replacement and extension at Southern Cross Energy recognizes the value and the need for integrating renewables to supplement base load requirements that industrial customers need for their operations. As we look at the mid-2020s, we're dusting off our prior work on carbon capture and storage that we'll be using to understand its potential value in supporting a future renewables build out here in Alberta. We're also relooking at the economics of Brazo Pump Storage. It's a potential 900-megawatt battery that has the potential to store wind and solar here in Alberta and provide firm green electricity. We are currently working with customers who may be interested in buying firm green electricity from Brazo in the future. And we have a team that works directly with flow flow battery companies and we expect to make investments there in the coming years. There are many technologies in various states of commercial readiness and we stand ready to make necessary investments as they become more commercial for our customers. On hydrogen, many players are going to invest substantial dollars in creating hydrogen. We'd like to be one of the first power companies to blend hydrogen into our facilities. And we're working with potential partners today to see what opportunities may now be available. Before I turn over the call to Todd, I want to take a moment to summarize the key takeaways uh, from this call. We are moving our corporate transition forward on an E-squared SG principle. E for economics, E for environment, S for socially responsible, and G for governance. Transalta's track record on greenhouse gas reductions is indisputable. ESG investors should be looking carefully at TransAlta for their portfolios. We are moving into an ESG-focused investment space and are set to continue to deliver impressive emissions reductions in the country. We are one of Canada's largest suppliers of renewable electricity, and our new goal is to focus on firm green electricity supply, which will take us a decade to achieve a great long-term goal for the team. We have a proven track record of commercializing new and innovative technology, and will continue to be a trusted partner for our customers. And finally, we're committed to building a strong and modern organization free from discrimination and systemic barriers. So now let me turn it over to Todd, who will give you more color on the numbers.
3: Thanks Don, and good morning everyone. Before I jump into the details, I just wanted to echo your comment that our portfolio delivered great performance both in Q3 and on a year-to-date basis. The company is in a very strong financial position and we're on track to deliver free cash flow near the high end of our guidance range. Looking at slide 13, the charts include several of our key metrics. For those listening, you may recall that last year in the third quarter, we received the residual PPA termination payment of $56 million That was awarded to us for the Sundance Units 3 to 6 arbitration. In order to provide a more accurate comparison of relative performance, the figures that I'm going to reference on our call will exclude the PPA termination payment. During the quarter, we generated incredibly strong EBITDA and free cash flow due to contributions from all our business segments and were indicative of the resilience of our operations, our hedging and energy marketing capability and our portfolio diversification. EBITDA of $256 million in the quarter was up 3% versus 2019, and free cash flow was also very strong at 106000000 million. Year-to-date, we've generated $306 million of free cash flow, which is almost $50 million better than 2019 on a comparable basis. Free cash flow per share is at $1.11, which is a 22% increase over 2019's nine-month performance. All in all, a very, a very strong performance from the business so far in 2020. On slide 14, we've laid out our Q3 and year-to-date performance by segment. As you can see, we had strong performance across the fleet and total segment cash flows were in line with last year for the quarter and significantly ahead for year-to-date performance. This strong performance was primarily a result of the following. The Centralia segment performed very well and more than made up for weakness here in Alberta. Again, showing that diversity of regions, contracts and technologies can provide overall stable cash flows. Our 2019 investments in Big Level and Antrim, as well as the recent acquisition of ADA, are delivering cash flows as expected in the wind and solar segment and in the North American gas segment. I would like to congratulate our energy marketing team on their outstanding performance in Q3. The investments we've made in this business over the past 20 years has positioned us to capture opportunities across all power markets in North America. Their results in Q3 were fantastic. Their ability to capitalize on their energy marketing capabilities is a major asset to the company. This strong performance was partially offset by expected lower cash flow from the Alberta Thermal Fleet. Segment cash flow decreased by $47 million and was partially due to higher sustaining capital spend during the gas conversion at Sundance Unit 6, which is expected to wrap up later this month. The fleet delivered strong realized prices consistent with last year. However, we are seeing gross margin pressures in the Alberta thermal business as we transition to shut down the mine. As we move towards the last phase of our mining operations, we will see continued pressure on our per ton coal costs as our mine delivers fewer and fewer tons of coal across the fixed cost base of the mine. At the same time, we expect to see increase in cash from working capital as our remaining coal inventories get utilized. Our corporate segment was flat over, uh, quarter over quarter but up $9 million on a year-to-date basis due to the realized net gains in 2019 from the total return swap. Adjusting for the total return swap impact, our corporate costs were down almost 10% on a year-to-date basis. I'm pleased with our, our ongoing cost reduction efforts across the company and our ability to take on new assets with no impacts to corporate overhead. Slide 15 summarizes the current financial strength of the company and highlights just how much free cash flow the business generates. At $306 million of free cash flow to date, we are tracking to deliver towards the high end of our guidance range. Liquidity was strong at quarter end at $1.6 billion and we added significantly to this in Q4. In October, we closed the second tranche of the Brookfield investment for $400 million and we also closed the 800 million Australian dollar financing from the South Headland Power Station. This sets us up extremely well to fund our gas transitions, deliver on our renewables growth plan and return capital, share- capital to shareholders through the share buyback program. As you can see on the chart on the bottom right, over the past few years we've been focused on reducing our corporate senior recourse debt levels in preparation for a fully merchant market. We're on track to meet this goal and have significant cash available to repay the bond maturity in November. On slide 16, you can see that spot market prices in the quarter averaged $44 a megawatt versus $47 in 2019. As I outlined last quarter, our base load generation was fully hedged for the Q3, and the team was able to optimize dispatching around those hedges. We continue to see slightly lower load demand in Q4 due to the ongoing impact of COVID, and are highly hedged for the balance of the year. Looking ahead to 2021, we continue to see constructive factors for Alberta power prices as compared to 2020. First, with the, end of the, with the end of the Alberta PPAs, roughly 2,400 megawatts of thermal capacity reverts to the asset owners on January 1st. As you know, in order to recover capacity costs, we anticipate plant owners will structure their energy offers accordingly to reflect the recovery. For the return uh, for the recovery uh, for the return of and the return on capital as there is no other mechanism outside the price of energy to do so. in addition to the end of the PPAs, we expect price support from three other factors. first, we expect some additional demand recovery in 2021. second, we expect higher scarcity pricing due to a significant number of facility outages and cold to gas conversions. And finally, we expect the provincial carbon tax to increase to $40 per ton to remain in line with the federal program. This raises the cost of production and must be recovered through higher power prices. Over the past quarter, we've seen the 2021 forward curve strengthen about 10% from $51 a megawatt to $56 a megawatt. In, in particular, we see stronger prices in Q1 at over $62, with some peak hours priced above 70 Moving to slide 17, we've provide provided our update on hedge levels, and based on prices strengthening for Q4 and Q1, we've added on to our hedge positions. For the balance of the year, our Alberta thermal base load generation is now hedged for Q4 at approximately 90% at $53 a megawatt hour. For the first quarter of 2021, our hedge levels are now over 40%, and an average hedge price of 60. I know I've spoken at length on the Alberta market, But I want to reiterate that we see strength in the forward market prices and are well-positioned to capture increasing margin in periods of tightening market supply and increased price volatility. To close off our presentation, I want to highlight what I think makes Transalta a highly attractive investment and a great value opportunity. First, as Don pointed out, we are a leader in GHG emissions reductions underpinned by a high-quality and highly diversified portfolio. We have the largest hydro fleet in Alberta and we have been operating for over a century. We are well positioned to capture market upside post PPA. The business is supported by a highly contracted renewable portfolio that is complemented by our world-class energy marketing capabilities. The company has a very strong financial foundation. Our balance sheet is in great shape. We have ample liquidity. We have continued to maintain capital discipline in our growth investments and the company has a track record of generating strong free cash flow. We believe the company is at an exciting milestone, and we are well-positioned for the future as a leader in clean electricity production. With that, I'll turn the call back to Kiera. Thank you,
0: Todd. Karyana, would you please open the call for questions from the Alan?
1: Certainly. As a reminder, to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Maurice Choi with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
4: Thanks and good morning. Uh, My first question is on, um, I guess, the guidance. You obviously had a very strong Q3 results um, yet, you have also reaffirmed your guidance for this year. Can you discuss um, if Q3 was in line or better than your expectations? And depending on that response, um, are there any things that you're keeping a close eye on uh, for Q4 that motivated you to reconfirm your your guidance range? Um, yeah,
3: Maurice, I think. Um you know, Clearly, our guide range for free cash flow is 325 to 375, and sitting at 306, we're very bullish on coming in at the high end of that, that program. Um, we do still have um, a significant amount of capital, uh, sustaining capital, The sudden six uh, turnaround and, uh, and conversion is still, still ongoing, there's still money to be spent in Q4 on that, so we do have a high capital spend, that's something that's uh, uh, definitely laying into our, our forecast for the balance of the year. And on top of that, um, we did have some, you saw our sustaining capital guidance go down. A lot of that is just shifting. When we moved the, Q, uh, the K2 and the K3 conversions slightly next year, delayed them by a, a, a month or two each. It moved a bit of the capital into 2021. So that was part of the reason for the, not not just um, you know reducing and rationalizing sustainable cap, sustaining capital. It was a bit of a t- timing delay on those as well. So I think capital we're paying attention to, as I mentioned, we're highly hedged. In the alberta market but really looking for opportunities to uh, uh to generate some uh, some upside potential in, in the alberta business
4: makes sense and, and my my final question is about um i guess capital allocation and opportunities particularly given that you have 2.7 billion dollars of liquidity sounds like uh you're also going to be able to uh introduce some drop downs in the coming months if um, you introduced an extra E to your ESG, um, and slide 10 has a number of attractive opportunities for you to improve your ESG profile, I wonder if you could discuss broadly the costs or returns, potential partners for some of these opportunities, uh, and if there is a preference for contracted versus merchant cash growth.
3: Can I, I just want to touch on liquidity there, for um, Maurice? You mentioned the 2.7 billion, which we do um, keep in mind. We do have the 400 million dollar bond maturity coming up here in November, so um, you know I don't want you to think we'll be at 2.7 at the end of the year. Um, and we we are looking for the Skookum Truck project to complete, which will also be a capital expenditure in the balance uh, balance of Q4 here.
2: Yeah. So uh, Maurice, I'm going to uh, start, and then I'm going to uh, let John and Brett also chime in here because I think it's an important question. So. The reason uh, I'm going to give the, the extra E, I'm going to give that credit to Mac Van Willigan over at ARC Financial. Um, he's written a number of papers on that, and I wrote him last night and said, I'm, I'm stealing your idea, which, which which I wanted to do. Um, because I do think it's important, as people reinvest cash into the future that's coming, which uh, there's a lot of talk about this net zero by 2050, it is important that there's, there is economic cash flows to be reinvested into that future, and uh, there's just not enough money available in the world to not do that in a very sustainable and economic way. Um, We would, all else being equal, this team uh, tends to go after contracted assets. We're very bullish on Sun 5, uh, Mm -hmm. mostly because we also have a a good hedge there with Shell, Um, so we we tend to always favor that overall, and so what I'll do is I'll maybe turn to Brett on, on how he's thinking, how he's seeing returns on the growth side, and then John, any comments that you would have?
5: Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, we're seeing uh, a number of opportunities out there, especially as people focus on uh, the ESG, as Don pointed on the customer side. So not just here in Alberta and rest of Canada, but the United States in terms of uh, looking for renewable projects, and so we do see good opportunities. Now again, we're going to continue to be disciplined like we've been in the past. We're not going to chase low returns. Um, and um, the contracted tenure tends to range, um, you know, uh, between that seven and 15 to 20 year period. So again, is there a portion of merchant or post PPA risk that we have to factor in? Uh, we do, but we then factor that into the return expectations of the project. I think if you're looking at cogen, uh, projects generally, those are well contracted. There might be a component of merchant associated, but as you know, they have steam and electricity components to them. So, generally, that's how we approach those projects. And again, um, we like those kind of projects um, because of our position. Um, you know, the bigger projects that are further out, like Brazo, clearly uh, we'll be looking to contract up to initiate those. Those are big. Big projects but we think very important projects uh, so it, it's a mix but I you know echo what Don says generally we're focused on contracted type projects
6: yeah I don't I don't really have a lot more to add uh, to that Maurice uh, the one thing I would say is you know when talking about partners we um, you know we're not against bringing other partners into our projects we tend to do it alone but when I think of partners I think of our customers as being partners and uh, The one area that we didn't talk much about is just the potential growth that we're seeing in Western Australia, Uh, our relationship with BHP. We do see them as a partner, and our ability to do a bit of solar for them and potentially um, work to uh, renew some some gas and uh, and steamers for them uh, is very, very important to us as we move forward. So when we think of growth, we do think of it in terms of partnerships with our customers.
4: Great. Thank you very much.
1: Your next question comes from Rob Hope with with Scotiabank. Your line is open.
7: Hi, uh, morning, everyone. And just a clarification on Maurice's question: um, the MD&A says the midpoint of free cash flow guidance, and I think you highlighted the upper end. Just want to confirm that.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I do see. You know, between the midpoint and the upper end, I'm I'm actually seeing towards closer towards the high end now.
2: Yeah, and I just think, just to add one thing, we do have two big outages next year again with K2 and 3 and um, there's always an opportunity to potentially, especially with COVID, uh, the team may want to do a little more pre-buying in Q4 and spend a little more capital just to make sure that everything that we need is ready to go. So I think the team is, is looking at a little bit of flexibility on the capital side there as we go into Q4.
7: Okay. And actually, that's a good segue to the capital side. So, with the the financing, which you know arguably would be more than the market would have anticipated, maybe even yourselves, uh, the pioneer sale um, and potential you know you know future drop downs, you know you look a little over capitalized here. So, how do you think about um, investing in future projects versus uh, um, you know some capital drag in the near term here versus share buybacks?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, for sure, uh, at Transalta is really, you know, gonna is, is really got some great opportunities ahead of it here, and and our investment path at Transalta is is really well known. I mean, you know what we're doing on K2 and K3. I think uh, you know what we're doing on on Sundance Unit Five. So really, the team as it looks at, we, there's a couple of considerations on that. If you look at the the way the company is set up. I mean, we are fundamentally going to be a gas and renewables company uh, by the end of next year, and if you look at the kinds of projects that we look at, uh, some of them fit, we see very clearly projects that we look at that fit very well into R&W, and some other projects potentially fit into TransAlta, because we have tax benefits and other things in TransAlta as well that we want to use up. So we'll be looking at that, but broadly, with the amount of capital that we've brought in, uh, it does uh you know it it means that we'll have to consider more carefully our capital allocation relative to dividend growth at transalta and uh and share buybacks so i think you're on the right uh track in terms of thinking about that rob all
7: right and then just one final one i'm just layering on some hedges good to see the additional disclosure on the uh hedges in in the early part of 2021 you know but uh hedging does kind of fall off in the balance of the year you know is that just a view that you want to see the forward curve kind of uh, move up uh, in the balance of the year to reflect what your view of the fundamental uh you know power price should be?
2: yeah, it's kind of two things that go on i'll just I'll set it up and people can add here so first of all, it is alberta and and frankly hedges the the uh, liquidity of hedging in Alberta only really opens up a quarter maybe a quarter and a half ahead of a quarter, so when you see them dropping off uh it's because really the liquidity in the, the three quarters after the first quarter is pretty low and there's not a lot of transactions that take place there. That's number one. And then number two, uh, absolutely for sure, uh, we think as price formation goes through the year, there's more opportunities. So the team our team is very good at figuring out when to take some hedges off the table. I don't know.
6: Anybody no, I mean I think that's right. We've seen liquidity sort of recover, and Be yeah. constructive for Q1, which is why we're layering hedges. And now I think Todd, we're around 45% hedge for Q1 of next year. And we are noticing that uh, liquidity for the second quarter is beginning to ramp up as well. And and we're just being pretty disciplined from a from a price perspective. It, it's quite a big change that's happening in the market next year. And and uh, uh, there's uh, you know there's no point from our perspective, given where we think fundamentals are, Todd touched on all the things that he thinks will impact the market uh, next year to to rush ahead and and, and hedge a position uh, at prices that we don't think would, would be appropriate.
8: All right.
7: Appreciate the color. Thank you.
1: Your, your next question comes from Mark Jarvie with CIBC Capital Markets. Your line is open.
9: Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Um. Just with the Keep Hills 1 and Sundance 4 to move to gas only and, and, and the D-rate, um, how much do those units have to run to actually break even You know, current fuel costs and, and uh, power prices? Like, Is this essentially a quasi-mothball, or, or do you actually think that those units will be quite active?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, frankly, we don't really break it down unit by unit. We run it as a portfolio. So um, it's really the optionality of those units in the portfolio. So as the asset optimization optimizers look at how to set up for the various weeks, days, hours. Um, they'll have different strategies in terms of whether or not they'll have those units on or off, on standby, uh, but t- currently they've determined that um, having them in that, in that state on gas is, uh, is beneficial to the portfolio.
9: Okay. And then we um, just talked about you know power price hedges and whatnot. What's the current perspective? And you talked about your gas transportation, but what are you guys on any fuel cost hedges for, for next year?
6: Um, so in terms of next year, I think we are pretty much entirely hedged for the first quarter. It then drops off a bit, I think, for quarters two through four. We're at about a 60% uh, hedge level uh, there, Mark. And then... Uh, you know, in terms of prices, I would say that our prices sort of for the first quarter would be you know roughly in that two ninety range, and then for the balance of the year they're kind of bouncing around that kind of dollars range. Okay, that's that's very helpful. Um,
9: and then maybe sort of a, a broader question with, with the repowerings that you're doing, capital power time or repowerings, you know, maybe the Cascade plant coming in, they're all quite efficient, low emissions intensity. You know, chance that there actually won't be a lot of carbon tax revenue generated, you know, from the fossil fuel fleet in Alberta. Do you think that sets up that they'll have to revisit the tier scheme and the best gas standard, or do you think the standard was set up to incent you guys to make these decisions? So maybe just, you know, your views on, on any of the changes in what people are doing impacts how how the tier is set up.
10: <laughs>
2: I don't know. That's a big question. I I mean that's that's a big policy question between the Alberta government and the federal government, um, and I, I, you know, I think as we go forward over the next decade, and environmental policy changes around the tier, the carbon pricing, the clean fuel standard, I think there's a lot of moving parts in there, um, and you know, effectively, we we continue to like to have a portfolio rather than a, a single plant investment or a single strategy, because we do think that. On, I, I, on average, our portfolio will perform. And I think, uh, Brett, there's some nuances, too, in terms of the, the peakers, the coal-to-gas the peakers, have the ability to run more than uh, just regular peakers in that.
5: Yeah, I mean, there's a, a few things. Um, clearly, if it does change, which again would be speculation on our right, part, right. It is, uh, that everybody's impacted by that. and. You know anybody still on or co-firing gas and coal would be impacted more than what our units would be impacted by But it would impact all gas units in the province in terms of Don's point any new peaker uh, is limited uh, Because they can't meet the point three seven uh, To only running. I believe it's thirty percent in a year. So new peakers are challenging to build um, going forward uh, so our our Converted boiler converted units are really uh, like peakers and they'll operate accordingly. Um, you know, some of them will run more uh, base load and mid merit than others, but certainly echo uh, again back to the points we made that it's a fleet, it's a diversified fleet, and right. we kind of are managing it in that way. Um, Mark?
9: Okay, fair enough. I know it's a, it's a tricky question, but appreciate the answer. And the last one any updated discussions with your partners on sharing us and what the plans are for those units? You know? um,
5: no, no updates. Um, business nope. as usual right now, and, yep. and uh, no change there.
1: That's right. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Your next question comes from Ben Pham with BMO. Your line is open. Hi,
11: thanks. Good morning. I, I wanted to follow up on some of the, the repowering Questions and you you effectively pinned down your entire uh, upper portfolio and, and where that's that's going and in, in the transition. Uh, Could you comment on uh, your decision to not move with two repowering? I, I can think of why, but I just wanted to walk through the process with you. And then on the derating, uh, I would assume there's there's still optionality to uh, to move up capacity, assuming you you can procure. Uh, Gas from the from pipe, is that correct?
2: Okay, so uh, just yeah. I, I want you to start over again. We're not quite sure what yeah, the question. Is. question. Yeah, how you're breaking you up. Sorry, up a
6: bit on your first question. So yeah. maybe try that again for us. <laughs> yeah, sure.
2: Yeah.
11: So there's a uh, the uh, there was a, a thought of uh, repowering two uh, coal units at one point in right. time, and you right. you move with one, and you were. Uh, trying to figure out the what do you do the second there's a bunch of EBITDA scenarios you provided uh, so i was curious more what what led you to to one and then the second question that was intriguing you heard that was, was just you know, you've, you've opted to derate um and i'm wondering uh, uh, i think there's there's probably some options for you to uh, to move that capacity higher assuming you get uh, you can get more gas to the, to the facilities right.
2: all right Okay, so let's. I want to be crystal clear on the second question and the first question. So first of all, on the second question, we're derating we're de- those units not because of gas supply, but because of the, um, the ability of those units to just run on gas.
6: Physically. Yeah.
2: Physically, because they haven't been converted to gas. Um, next year, we'll do additional studies for, K, for, for Sundance Unit 4 and for K1 to determine if they are Candidates for gas conversion simple boiler conversions um, We don't see them needed in that capacity fully in 2022, but they may be needed in 23, 24. So we'll do those studies next year. There's some optionality there in terms of the second they'll also be looked at uh, And on the whole fleet to be looked at in terms of the second repowering there is definitely uh, a potential for a second repowering in our fleet Uh these are very, very attractive uh, repowering, as you're as you're seeing uh, from us. Um, what we want to do, though, is also very much assess uh, climate change policy around that second repowering, because if we get much more aggressive uh, climate targets, uh, there's there's a, a very good chance that a second repowering would also have to have some sort of carbon carbon capture and storage associated with it, and it goes back to our comments around. Uh, green firm power. Um, we just think it's going to get – as you go through the decade, there'll be um, a requirement, we think, for more and more cleaner power, which can be achieved by blending some hydrogen in at the plants, by CCS. So when we look at our second repowering, we're very much thinking about how do you, how do you make the, those uh, megawatt hours uh, less greenhouse gas-intensive. So it's definitely not off the table. It is off the table for 2025. We originally, I think, had thought maybe by 2025 we'd have a second repowering. So for sure we've slipped out of that 2025 period probably in 26, 27 in there. Uh, We'll make those, we'll do that analysis all of next year, but we'll be doing that analysis also thinking very carefully about uh, how to ensure that we can meet environmental standards going forward over the next 20 years. Does that make sense?
11: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and maybe just on a topic of, of crystal clear. Maybe a question on, on the free cash flow guidance, uh, Todd. I, I just, I, I just want to make sure I, I got the messaging right. Um, uh, so your, your your formal guidance is, is still uh, the midpoint in your m d a package, and so you're you're sticking with that. But you're you're just saying that it looks like there's there's a possibility to succeed or be at the higher end and, and if you do hit the midpoint uh, don't penalize us for it or, or are you actually saying ignore ignored MDNA and uh <laughs> our new guidance is at the upper end I just I just wanted to make sure I understood really your, your positioning on that.
3: Yeah I, I definitely see it it moving above the midpoint um and we are we are uh planning and driving the business to deliver towards the high end of that goal. Okay. All right. Thank you.
1: Your next question comes from Andrew Kusky with Credit Suisse. Your line is open.
10: Thank you. Good morning. I, I guess 20 years ago we started the PPAs and there was some uncertainty going into it and now we're finishing them and there's uncertainty as they finish. So I guess just in that context, you talked a little bit about you know the lack of liquidity in the hedging market, but ideally as things stabilize and we've got a better view on bidding behavior, what level of hedging do you think you want to have? In the Alberta market specifically for your portfolio and then how does that triangulate with his credit rating metrics
2: yeah so so and so andrew i i think that's an important question and i do think i've been predicting um and it will take some time to see if i actually can can be right about this but as the ppas roll off and as people in Alberta are completely unhedged in a spot market I do think there is going to be a whole bunch more contracts and vehicles for hedging that are going to emerge. And we do we've got a team of people working very closely with customers to see what can be done there as well. Because I think the PPAs have, have muted provided a sort of muting to the market. And once it is a full spot market, um for sure financial contracts should emerge and there should be a mu- there should over time be a much more transparent um signal in terms of what some of the pricing might look like. Uh, so, for example, we're even today we're talking to some customers about even three- and seven-year hedges, you know, that kind of thing. Now, early, early days, people really need to see what the market looks like. They need to assess the risk of it. But um, as you know, in all markets, uh, that that should emerge. In terms of the um, our hedge values, it completely depends. So if we're sitting in a, a market where it pays nothing, it pays nothing for us to hedge because prices are low or prices are weak. We're not going to hedge up then. Um, And if prices get really uh, spicy for whatever reason, we'll probably hedge up more at that point. So our hedge volumes will move, uh, you know, sort of from year to year. We will disclose where we're at and what our thoughts are um, as we're going into the market. Um, We'll probably get a lot better at that as we go through 2020 and see how the market shapes up and see how some of these customer discussions emerge, but um, uh, it, I think it'll start to look very much like some of the things you see in other commodity uh, Markets where there'll be times when it it, it it does not pay off to continue to hedge I, We can't blindly set a level and hedge. Is another way to say it. We'll have to you know Really be on top of it with our asset optimization optimizers. Does that, does that make sense? Am I being clear?
10: Yeah, no, that that that's very helpful. And maybe a follow-up to it is: Do you anticipate, you know, an evolution to your financial reporting and and just a, a change to that, given the fact that you've got a marketing group now, but you're really operating the PPAs marketing group to some other things on optimization basis. But as you go into full, you know, energy only market, the functions kind of change, and just should the reporting change around that too?
2: Yeah. So there's, uh, you know, I mean, we've. For the last 10 years, we've reported on fuel type because fuel type tended to um, have different levels of capital. Uh, You know, coal was a a big capital user, and it it made some sense for the market to see, you know, especially as we were growing the portfolio with more gas and renewables, you could start to see that just the shape of the way the company reinvested capital was changing. Uh, There is an argument, and, you know, we'll be doing the work on it for having sort of the uh, more of an Alberta portfolio because we do operate it as a portfolio and we have to think about uh, you know in terms of what the asset optimizers do and how we how we manage those uh, those units here and frankly um, we make electricity and electricity is electricity no matter how it's made so um, we we are thinking about that we haven't made any decisions on that at all but uh, certainly, you may expect to see something as we go through next year.
10: Okay. That's very helpful. Thank you.
1: Thanks. Our next question comes from John Mould with TD Securities. Your line is open.
8: Thanks. Good morning. Uh, I'd just like to start with, um, you know, great result for energy marketing in the context of California volatility. But I'd like to focus on, now, opportunities to potentially provide firm supply in the Pacific Northwest. You'll have one operating unit at Centralia through 2025. And, and just in the context of some of the other coal retirements coming in that region, you know, what opportunities could you have to provide firm supply in that market, whether it's a potential gas conversion at Centralia or, or other investments there?
2: <laughs> this, that's, a, that's a good question. So what we know about that region is that uh, there will be a number of RFPs in the region uh, for the next five years. Um, from a number of the players looking for a way to uh, replace all of the coal that's being shut down, and we know that those uh, those um, RFPs will start with looking for more green and and accepting more intermittent power. Um, and of course, you know there's opportunities there with our land with you know solar and and potentially some interesting opportunities on wind. But that we know that the region is very, very nervous uh, about as they go forward, and all the coal shuts down. What are they going to do about, um, you know, firm supply? We also know because we've worked very closely with the environmentalists in that region that they do see some sort of gas transition at least till 2040. Um, because frankly, nobody can conceptualize, even though we're all trying to do it desperately, nobody can conceptualize yet how to get the kind of um, supply that you need to create green baseloads. It's just not, not feasible yet. So, um, we've been encouraged by the local customers and local utilities there to think about how to submit into those RFPs. Um, and it could even be something, frankly, where we provide operating reserve or something like that. So at this point, it looks like the RFPs in that area will be green to start with in the 2020-21-22 timeframe. And then they'll they'll be focusing on how to get some base load. Um, so we continue to look at it, um, and it could be even, you know, you, you think, could it be a coal to gas conversion, which is actually pretty big in that region. It t- takes a lot of gas, and that region doesn't have as much gas as you think. But it might be putting a peaking unit back in, uh, remember we've got that BHP plant there that we, we pretty well sold everything out of, but putting a small LM6000 in there might win a a competition if we can get it amortized to 2040. So those are the kinds of things that are going on. Very, very early days on that, but something the team will be looking at as we go forward.
8: Okay, thanks for that. Um, And then maybe just circling back on sheerness and the dual fuel plans there, and maybe to ask Mark's question a different way, are you able to provide any color on just the future coal versus gas fueling there and how carbon emissions and broader esg considerations feed into the thinking of you know the owners regarding the future of coal at that at those units or how you think about you know ta cogens stake in, in sheerness
6: yeah um john um it's john on um with respect to sort of ta I'll, I'll try to answer your question in reverse with respect to ta cogens interest in the sheerness facilities we haven't had any um, discussions in terms of changing uh, the ownership that we have there with our partners, uh, CKI. So, so right now we, you know, the status quo is effectively what uh, we're seeing there. Um, in terms of dual fuel, um, I think all I can say is that uh, I think the folks at, at Heartland are pretty much focused on trying to increase and really transition towards a gas-fired uh, facility there. Um, that'll be their focus. Will we see some, you know, dual fuel burning over the course of 2021? Uh, I do expect that. But but as time goes by, uh, you know, our expectation would be is that it would be predominantly run on, uh, on natural gas.
8: Okay, great. And then uh, maybe just lastly on Brazo, you've talked before about the ability uh, – pump storage, just to be clear – you've talked before about the ability to maybe build that in stages. I'm just wondering, how much of that project output you know would need to be contracted before you really felt like you could you could start to move forward with that, and maybe how its ancillary value to the broader market kind of plays into that you know need to contract up the facility before deciding to move ahead
2: yeah i, I mean i I think you got to get it contracted into that seventy eighty percent range to take a risk on that size of investment for us now potentially if we could if we had a partner that Maybe maybe uh, could take more merchant risk than we could uh, you can you can change some of that um, but uh, for sure, as you look at sort of the the ESG world of investing and you look at some of the demands to reduce carbon um, there you know there's a lot of companies now that have to really focus on their scope two emissions, which is the emissions that come from their power supply um, and you can see some opportunities. It's it's actually very a very interesting project because most it's less about the power uh, hedging. It's more about the uh, it's more about the in, in, environmental permits that come out of it and the and the uh, the racks and and really figuring out how to um, how to attract capital into that side of it. So it's. Well, as we as we do more work on that, we'll talk about that. But it's actually hedging, hedging the greenhouse gas side of it more than the power side.
8: Okay, uh, very much appreciate those contacts. Uh Those are my questions. Thanks.
1: Thank you. Your next question comes from Julian Dimulon Smith with Bank of America. Your line is open.
10: Hey, good morning. It's uh, Darius Lozny on for Julian. Just wanted to ask one quick question on the R and W side, and it has to do with your recontracting efforts. It sounds like there was some progress made in uh, Southern Cross in the last quarter, and I was wondering, um, as we kind of look ahead to Sarnia and that contract, what the next milestones that we should watch for would be, as far as that recontracting.
6: Um, Darius, thanks for the thanks for the question. Um, you're right; we're pretty excited about the extension of the contract. Uh, um, at Southern Cross and uh, that, that, you know, extends the life by 15 years there. With respect to um, Sarnia, I think the next milestone for us would be, uh, and I think we've, we've, we've been pretty transparent about it, it's just all the recontracting efforts that we have with the customers there that are uh, behind the fence. Our sense is that they're advancing well. Our facility does a good job in serving uh, their needs and uh, we're, we're presently uh, expecting and hopeful that uh, those arrangements would be Uh, finalized uh, pretty much across the board in the first
10: half of next year.
4: Great, thank you very much.
1: Your next question comes from Dan Healing with the Canadian Press. Your line is open.
5: Uh, Hello, thanks for taking my question.
1: Don, I was wondering if you'd
5: take a step forward, step back and just uh, kind of go through the strategic rationale for uh, moving up the uh, coal retirements. Um, is it related to the Brookfield investment of uh, a year or so ago?
2: Uh, no, not at all. I mean, I, I think it's it's really related to um, kind of overall the 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 economics of producing power in Alberta on coal with the carbon tax. Um, if you look. If you look at Alberta, we've currently got a $30 carbon tax. It'll be 40 by next year, 50 the year after. Um, coal plants uh, get less economic, um, and they're less flexible in a in a merchant market. So when you we're doing a conversion right now to gas, that plant when it comes back will be highly flexible, um, and um, will be highly flexible, and will be. Uh, uh, you know, much easier to run in a market that has more volatility. Uh, John, did you want to add something?
6: Yeah, I mean, the only thing is the other thing you have to remember is when when the climate leadership plan came in from the previous government, and, and even with the federal government, um, you know, 2029 was the date that they right. set for uh, the coal-fired generation to end. So, so really, it uh, it uh, resulted in the company just refocusing uh, the way it would it would run its portfolio.
5: Right. Oh, okay, My, and I I also had a question about what the impact on. Employees will be as you uh, close down that coal mine and uh, elsewhere in the operation.
2: Listen, that is the, that is the bittersweet, sad part of this story. Um, the one, you know, at the height of TransAlta, we had 1,500 people working out there. Uh, by the end of next year, we'll have, you know, 40 or 50 working on reclamation. Now they'll have good reclamation jobs for about 20 years, which is, is great. Um, but it is uh, those people have given their heart and soul to this company Uh, They are, you know, some of the best families in the province, Um, and uh, our number one thing is to make sure that they continue to work with us till the end of next year. Having family members um, who work in that business, I do know that having this certainty is actually helpful to them because they can make plans. But uh, uh, we'll be working really hard to make sure they uh, they all continue to work all through next year, and uh, we'll be throwing them a party for all the work they did for the last 50 years for this uh, province.
8: Okay, sounds good. Thanks very much.
1: Your next question comes from Najee Beydoun with Industrial Alliance. Your line is open.
11: Hi, uh, good morning. Just a couple of questions. Just going back to the uh, Centralia assets, now that you you, you won't have any coal uh, fire facilities in Canada as of 2022, just wondering if you can give us your latest thoughts on, on Centralia. And, and I guess the question is, what would it take to uh, completely remove all
4: coal uh, from uh, from your portfolio?
2: Well, we, I mean, we'd have to probably sell Centralia to a private buyer. Uh, but the, the 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 interesting thing about Centralia is we have a 360 megawatt hedge on that plant uh, that's very strong, and it and it helps create the cash flows till the end of 2025. And As well, when we negotiated that contract, so if you have to go back to 2011, uh, we worked with the uh, governor in 2011 and uh, we basically made an agreement that if they would get us some hedges that we would guarantee that we would shut the plant down at the end of its life. So we guaranteed that we'd shut unit one down at the end of this year, which we are doing, and that we'd shut unit two down at the end of 2025. And in return, we don't have an environmental liability for that um, because of because of the, the work we did with uh, the state there. So, I mean, it's really a net present value discussion. Um, and uh, But it, in the meantime, we the, the cash flows are strong on that plant, and we can use them to reinvest in our green strategy. And having cash to reinvest is, is an important part of our EESG um, uh uh how, how we're
7: in in visualizing that yeah that makes sense thank you don for that
11: and uh, i i guess a more of a broader question um with related to W. As, as more of your assets are converted to gas does is, is that change at all your drop down strategy for transalto renewables w- would you be looking to have or move more of your contracted assets into rnw and sort of keeping the majority of merchant exposure within transalta corp uh, like, is, is there a minimum contracted profile that you would like to maintain at the TA level?
2: i uh, you know that's a that's a tough question to answer because when you there's a number of benefits that work in both portfolios. So there's you know we'll look at a project and you know it might have certain tax attributes that work better in Transalta, and another project that has the same sort of green attributes might work better in R and W. So as we, as we now have brought the strategies pretty close together and, and we're really aiming at that ESG world, um, we will have to do a little bit more work, I think, to show investors what our, investors, what our investment policy is for both companies. We need a bit of, a bit more time to do that. But clearly, as we look at a number of portfolios that are coming up for sale in the market or looking at developing different projects, um there are projects that work for both portfolios, and we'll want to make sure we allocate the capital to the right project in the right portfolio to get all the economic benefits that we can again e e s g economic e s g and so uh you know we're really looking at how to how to put that put that wrap that around both companies together
4: okay thank you uh for that detail.
1: There are no further questions at this time. I will now turn the call back over to the presenters. Great. Thank you,
0: everyone. Um, That concludes our call for today. If you have any further questions, please don't hesitate to reach out to the Investor investor Relations team here. at
1: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.